Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and I walked on 500 tons of sand in a straight line path to get to this podcast. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. As a person of color, I know I definitely would not survive in the Quiet Place universe. Absolutely not. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to The Loud Place! <laughs> welcome, everyone. That's a good podcast name, to be honest. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Filmcast, a podcast wow. about speaking movies. of podcast names. It's, a, it's the first time. Like it's a, it feels good. It feels pretty good. Sorry to interrupt you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, for those who don't recall, uh, last week on this ep- uh, this podcast, we announced that we are rebranding as the Filmcast and splitting off from SlashFilm.com, doing our own independent thing. Huzzah. And you, you know what people were saying? We should we should just cut the the. As well, right? And I feel like that's uh, that's less declarative. We have to be yeah. the yeah, filmcast. it's not the just film, not filmcast. just filmcast. It's, right. it's yes, it's both what you said, which is mm-hmm. want to be declarative, and also the fact that very possibly filmcast.com was not available. Yeah, yeah. So you know, <laughs> the filmcast killing killing two birds with one stone. It, people were very nice this week. We got a lot of congratulatory tweets and emails, and uh, I, just, I yeah. thought the, it was lovely of people. I didn't, you know, it's a big deal, but I did almost. Kind of like, well, it's just a thing that we're doing, but yeah. it, it is a big deal. You know, I like that people recognized it and, and are uh, being supportive. It's nice. You know, we got a super nice email and we're still using slashfilmcast at gmail.com for now. You know, we got this super nice email at slashfilmcast at gmail.com from Joshua from Tokyo, Japan, uh, who wrote in just a, a super lovely email. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but suffice to say, they've been listening to us for a really long time and they eventually like started uh, contributing to slashfilm.com. They, uh, he, here's what Joshua wrote. He says, uh, quote, I guess I'm what's known as a lurker. Maybe you have other listeners like that. I don't know. But in the replies to your tweet announcing the podcast rebranding, I noticed a person quoting something else you had once said, likening a podcast to a message in a bottle thrown into an ocean of nothing but messages in bottles. For me, posting bylines, even to a site with as much global reach as Slash Film, has felt very similar. The comparison I keep coming back to is that of a mail clerk working down in the basement, sending up his articles through a pneumatic tube. The Slash Film cast always seemed like the penthouse to me, and now the penthouse is disconnecting from the high-rise and rocketing off into the stratosphere just floating on its away. Own. Yeah, <laughs> That seems like a bad plan for the penthouse. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, he says, you know, uh, as someone who lives on an actual island in Japan, I can say that your discussion and analysis of cinema have definitely enriched my own viewing experience over the years, end quote. So it was a very lovely email to receive from Joshua. And, uh, I, you know, he, he, he talks about us like we were part of the penthouse and now the penthouse is disconnecting and rocketing off into the stratosphere. I actually wrote a response to Joshua. I said, uh, you, you may describe it as blasting off into the stratosphere. I think of it more like base jumping off the top of the penthouse with no parachute. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we can't Basically, see the bottom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So uh, on the one hand, you know, it's great. On the other hand, it's also terrifying. You know, we're on our own. We're floating in space by ourselves now. And uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah. we are so we got a huge influx of patrons last week at patreon.com. Awesome. Podcast. If you want to support us. That is the place to do it. Actually, you know, I didn't mention that I wanted to bring this up because I'd forgotten until just now. But um, if you don't mind, Dave, I want to bring up the Kickstarter video that Kaveh did for the show about the show. Because I I don't know if you got a chance to watch all of it. (laughs) Or if you did, I, I did, I did watch all of it. I did watch I, all. Of it. So, so let's, was... let's let's take a step back. I want to talk about this. Let's talk about okay. this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so uh, 
uh, a few weeks ago, first of all, let me just say that tonight on the podcast, we're going to be talking <laughs> about A Quiet Place Part 2. We got some what we've been watching for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, uh, in the wake of our rebranding as the Filmcast, some people were asking, hey, maybe you guys can do a little bit more film news uh, on, on the Filmcast, uh, because that was typically something that Slash Film Daily did, which uh, is a podcast I'd recommend. Uh, we love the folks over there. Check them out at daily.slashfilm.com. And... Um, for the past year, year and a half, I have been opening the podcast with like a, a news story or, or some kind of story that that might be related to film in some way. Um, and so we'll try to be uh, more purposeful about that and try to do that at the beginning of each show. If there's a story that we want to talk about, we'll do that. Mostly um, it's been the death of uh, <laughs> cinema and then the rebirth of cinema. Mm-hmm. It's Indeed. Been, that's been Indeed. what we're talking about. Right. So we'll try to we'll try to open each show with uh, one or two film news stories and uh, people can let us know what they think at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. And finally, before we get into what those stories are for this episode... I do want to mention a couple things. Uh, first of all, I am broadcasting tonight, not from my home studio in Seattle. I actually traveled across the country to the Bay Area, and I am broadcasting uh, from an Airbnb uh, in the Bay Area. Um, my, I, I took my folks to come see their grandson, who is uh, my nephew, uh, visit my brother uh, in the Bay Area. And so basically, I have none of my usual things like my usual computer, my microphone, all this stuff is different today. And, uh, and so if it sounds weird, if it sounds echoey, if you hear like random strange noises, muffled screams, uh, <laughs> you know, someone struggling, like d- just ignore all that. Like, Let sorry about that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, this is just the nature of where I'm broadcasting from right now. So, so yeah, basically please your forgiveness and, uh, and patience with the sound quality. If it's like a little bit worse than usual today, I apologize. Um, but you know, I, I'm committed to delivering the show to you no matter where I am. Can you guys what hear did, that train in the background, by the way? I can't. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, this, this is just what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I, mean, I did not Perfectly plan on that. cue to didn't illustrate your that. point. Exactly. Um, didn't plan it. Didn't does plan it. Flying south from Seattle to the Bay Area constitute as across the country? <laughs> uh, it's a hop. It's a hop. Yeah. You know, okay. Down the coast. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it doesn't, Jeff, you know? There but, you, you know, go. Thanks. I just wanted to be clear. No, no, no. no thanks. Thanks. That's really important for you to bring up. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, man. That's that's great. That's great. I, mean, that I just thought up. across would be east to west or west to east. You know, I'm just saying. That's all I was thinking. It's the difference between a pan and a tilt in, in filmmaking terms. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. All right, Jeff. Um, I've been sufficiently chased. Gotcha. You gotcha. <laughs> you got Not me. to minimize yeah. your... Uh, I think it's amazing. I can't wait to hear. I think we're going to talk about it in the yeah. after yeah. dark, right? Your yeah. trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, excited yeah, yeah. to hear about it. Yeah. How, well, how long was that flight? Like under two hours? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounds rough. All right. So we're going <laughs> to open tonight's uh, episode by talking about this. Uh, let's talk about this thing that Jeff brought up, which is a few weeks ago on the Slash Filmcast, or when we were the Slash Filmcast, we are now the Filmcast, we brought up, or I should I should point out our guest, Dan Gavosden, brought up. Yeah. A YouTube show on the Brick TV YouTube channel called The Show About the Show. Yeah. Talk, uh, about, talk is, about throwing a message in a bottle to a place no where nobody will really see it. But man, he, he's throwing <laughs> wow. a lot of messages out there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I guess because Brick I TV used to was live like in, Brooklyn. in your, nobody, your neighborhood. Nobody, right? nobody watches. Nobody Brick watches TV is basically like Brooklyn public access yeah, TV. Nobody place, watches right? that. That's yeah. like not even Wayne's World. You know, like it, it's, I, I've not heard anything 
People oh, talk uh, about Brick. Yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, whatever the case, they gave this uh, writer-director doing Kaveh Zahedi money to make this thing called The Show About The Show, the premise of which was that every episode was about the making of the previous episode. And uh, I, I, can't, I don't want to go too much into it. You should listen to our review of it like a few episodes ago. Um, but well, suffice, suffice it to say, yeah. we, it affected us greatly. <laughs> yeah, so suffice to say, uh, you know, Jeff and I thought it was a work of staggering genius. Yeah. And uh, it, it basically is an act. Creating that show was an act of radical honesty. And we'll just leave it at that. Like, if you are interested and intrigued, go check it out. The show about the show. Seasons one and two are available on YouTube right now. Okay, so we thought that that was going to be the end of the show about the show. Like, we're never going to see any more episodes of the show about the show. As Devendra indicated, it was part of a rather not super well-funded, you know, public access TV station. It has and- absurdly low views for for as yeah uh, life destroying as it seems to be. Yeah, in as, the, as in much the pursuit as it, of art, as much as it uh, like negatively affected Kaveh Zahedi's life and making it. Uh, we felt like it deserved more views, and yeah. uh, and so we. Uh, anytime we have a chance, we're going to plug the show about the show on the filmcast. Uh, so I, I didn't think we'd ever hear about the show about a show about the show again until this week, Jeffrey. Tell yeah. us what happened. Well, we got uh, a, a series of tweets, I believe, uh, from someone who evidently is connected to the fact that now there is a Kickstarter campaign for season three of the show about the show. Uh, uh, evidently, Kaveh has been persuaded to uh, use Kickstarter to crowdfund uh, another season of the show. He was fully making it and when, uh, when COVID hit, and he talks about it quite honestly, as he does in all of his things, in the Kickstarter video. Um, but I think we are sort of tangentially involved in some way because I think some of the discussion on our show resulted in somebody having lunch with him and trying to convince him to make more of it. Uh, I don't want to take any credit for that, but I think it, I think we're kind of involved in that process somehow. My, my understanding of it is that um, somebody listened to us praising it, then they went and watched it, then they told their friend about it, and then their friend had lunch with Kaveh, and their friend convinced Kaveh to start a Kickstarter to fund season yeah. three and four. That, that's, I think that's my accurate. My understanding. Yeah. I'm not sure that's uh, you know 100 sure, but I believe that is a chain of custody. Um, so yeah, which which if if true, uh-huh. could not make me happier. Right. Yeah. That that's extraordinary. And so, also, where where is your producer credits? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, David and I have both uh, contributed to the Kickstarter. Uh, we are rooting for the Kickstarter. Hopefully, if you've listened to this and you checked out the show or are interested in the show, you too will check out the Kickstarter. I, we we want this thing to happen. Uh, but the reason I brought it up at the beginning of this episode is the Kickstarter video is kind of like a mini episode of his show. And it is extraordinary on a number of levels. It's It's wildly transparent about his process and about what he's been going through and about how the money he needs and how he spends it and what, you know, all that stuff that you would want from a Kickstarter video done in a very, very honest, transparent way, which is, we could talk about that for an hour, but he ends it in kind of explaining why he was reluctant to use crowdfunding and, and sort of his reluctance to ask people for money, which is something I have been very, I have, I relate to a lot and have, I had to get over my own reluctance 
um, with, when I did my first Kickstarter back after the Totally Rad show ended, um, Brian Brushwood actually had to convince me to do it. I just, it just didn't feel right to me. Um, and even, you know, even us launching our Patreon here at the Filmcast, I think it took us kind of getting over the hump of being comfortable with asking people for money for what we make. And he talks about that very directly. And I thought, David, I'm curious to hear what you think, but I thought the way he expressed it in, in terms of gratitude that I thought it was beautiful. And it, it made me like want to just play that clip as an advertisement for any Patreon. It's, it's, he talks about like in the moment that you feel gratitude for something, in the moment that you feel that you want to give back to a creator, he talks about it with regard to this musician that he was enamored with. He said, in that moment, the moment you feel gratitude is the moment you should immediately act on it and give to the artist. If you, if you wait and you don't feel it anymore, don't give. Like, don't do it in, that, in any other moment than the moment in which you feel that gratitude. And I'm not doing justice to his expression of it, but I found it so beautiful and so moving as an expression of um, patronage, honestly. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to use that word. Uh, glibly. Yeah, yeah. Glibly, yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I found it really beautiful. I'm curious what you thought. You know, I actually didn't agree with that part. Oh, really? <laughs> the, the he, yeah, he he makes this point of like, like when you're feeling gratitude, give when you're feeling it, or else like it'll feel fake when you end up giving it. And I, I actually don't agree with that. Like, I think we actually should get like if we have the feeling that we should give, and then we wait until later and we don't feel that way anymore. Like, we should still give. In my opinion, in my opinion, the thing that I really appreciated about what he said was that you should give in the direction of your gratitude. Like right. that, that, that is what I appreciate. It is like he d didn't like raising money. He didn't like asking people for money, but like, but he, but it's a conflict because he likes giving money. And it's like, why, why, why do we like giving money? And, and we should give in the direction of our gratitude is kind of the yeah. point that he made. Yeah, he and said that, that feeling when you, when you feel the gratitude and then you give in that direction, that feeling is actually very positive. And it, it is not something that we really talk about in this society enough is is how good it feels to do yeah. that yeah 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 um agree I, agree mm -hmm. completely so that part i like totally agreed with right? yeah. yeah yeah so uh it's it's an awesome kickstarter video and uh i am a big backer of the kickstarter and also there is a tier that is ten thousand dollars <laughs> and he will make a short film about you or with you i think that is, sounds is, like a threat after everything you guys have told <laughs> me about is. this guy yeah. like why don't no give him money but stay away from his camera well yeah. somebody i don't remember who tweeted it, it was like you should start a kickstarter to raise enough money to meet that level of the, to get that reward of the kickstarter. kickstarters all the way down the kickstarter yeah. about the kickstarter basically um and uh yeah. listener let me tell you i considered it i considered it um, I mean, I think that would be so amazing if you made a video with, or he made a video with you or about you or of you. I don't know. It sounds amazing, David. I am going to tell you that uh, I I am planning to interview him for Culturally Relevant. And I did get an email from him uh, this week where he said, you know, hey, David, heard you want to, you know, uh, to interview me for your podcast. Let's do it. And, and we're going to schedule it. And I'm like, wow. And, and I had to be 
really careful in my email response because I'm like, <laughs> literally every email I write back to him could appear in the show. About the show. <laughs> That's so true. Right? Yeah. Like, because it's like yeah. it's like it could be taken out of context and used to characterize me in some way. Yeah, he, he's and, planning an episode about you right now. <laughs> he's actually in your apartment while you're away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can't yeah. trust anything. Exactly. The exactly. thing that's so, I mean, I don't, we don't need to talk about this too much longer, but the thing that is so amazing about him in a lot of ways is it feels almost like this, this like little indie band that you assume is huge because it just seems that it, they seem do it to be doing something so amazing. And then you realize, no, they, no one knows about them. You know, it, it, it's, it's crazy to me that he's working on a level that is so, bold and self-destructive and yet for so little reward you know he's, he's he really is true to that artistic sense so stringently that he's willing to do it for very very little uh, audience and i i want him to i want him to be known by way more people you you want you you feel like spreading the word almost in some ways helps to to justify his sacrifice yeah yes absolutely I think this is the thing that actually kind of strikes me is uh, I've been doing a lot of reflecting recently about life and about, you know, uh, the film cast and about the Patreon. And I'm in the Bay Area right now. And you want to cross country to get there. (laughs) I'm going to kill you, Jeff. Um, And it's just it just has become super clear to me that like. So, so much of life is like luck, you know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. obviously there's, there's like a, there's a threshold at which you cross, right? Where you do, you work really hard or you have a kind of a baseline level of skill. But after that point, it's about, it, it's largely about luck or being in the right place at the right time. And what I'm ta- what I'm referring to is like, uh, as an example, like in, in the Bay area, there's like, we're, we're surrounded by millionaires, multi, multi-millionaires. And it's like, these millionaires are doing fundamentally, many of them are doing the exact same thing as people who are working in companies that aren't, and they aren't millionaires. Uh-huh. Right? right. And it's not like they're, the tasks that they're doing are like that much more like, you know, order of magnitude, more complex or whatever. It's just, they chose to work for an Airbnb or an Uber and they were like employee 53 and they were working right. for Uber instead of a company that no one's heard of because it went bankrupt or whatever. Right. And now they have like $20 million. And then the person who was doing literally the exact same thing, but at a different company uh, is, you know, struggling to pay their mortgage or whatever. And uh, anyway, I, I just, uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it Almost w- like we need to burn down this entire system. Yeah. <laughs> Almost, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, 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 I'm thinking about it this week. You know, when um, as you're talking about Kaveh and like this is a guy who uh, I think is brilliant and who has sacrificed a great deal for his art and pr- arguably too much. You know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if he was like, if he had, uh, uh, if he had gotten in front of like a different set of eyes during the course of his career, like maybe he'd be like a multi quadrillionaire. You know, like who knows? Yeah. Um, but it just be the next Borat well, or something. It yeah. just makes you feel like how arbitrary it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's all. I think that's my all takeaway is slightly different because okay. I, you know, I think about it like I look at him and I see his desire to make something great being decoupled from the number of people that see it. Right. 
And mm-hmm. that to me is, is inspiring and kind of amazing that he's so committed to making something that he believes is good that he will do that in, even in the absence of there being an audience for it. Right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we, I, I'm, I work really, really hard on the dungeon run, for example, in, in creating, creating for that show. Right. I'm, it, it is a lot of thinking and working and imagining. And, and I spend, I, I spend a lot of effort trying to make something that I believe is great. And I, we're not at the sort of critical role numbers, right? There are, there are much larger shows in this Critical space. role being another show. Uh, that's being the popular. show, yeah. right? It's, the, it's like, it's, you know, a million views an episode, right? We're not in that stratosphere. And, it, you know, there's part of me that's like, I work, I work so hard. Not to say that they don't. I'm sure they all, excuse me, right. especially Mercer. I, they all work really hard. But, like, the, there's something inspiring about just going, I, I know that I'm making something good. And I know, I know that I'm doing, putting the work in to make it good mm. and seeing him like, he's just uncompromised. Like he could just, he's not making any money from it. Barely anybody is watching it. And yet he is so committed to making it to his level of standard that he won't, he'll, he'll destroy himself in the process, right? He'll, he'll walk away from things that could be much better for his life, but yeah. he is committed to making this artistic thing as good as it can be for him. A question for you guys, actually, uh, based on something I'm seeing in the chat room too. Yeah, from yeah I was going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, the reason I haven't really gotten into this stuff is because <laughs> it, this sounds interesting. It also sounds like this is a guy who's treating everybody around him kind of like garbage in the <laughs> pursuit of his art. Um, no matter what it takes, how is how do you guys reconcile that? Because it's not just him torturing himself. It's like they, he has a family or he had yeah. a family, yeah. you know? The, the part that gives me the biggest pause is that he has kids. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is very difficult to see. And, and and he talks about his relationship with his kids only briefly. And I, I don't know how much is left out. I would hope that there's a lot left out. <laughs> right. But he, he does. It does give me a lot of pause in, in yeah. praising him. Like if he was just a single dude living a life, I, I, I would, I would be like, Oh, this guy's incredible. But there are people that are, you know, in his, you know, that, mm-hmm. that yeah. rely mm-hmm. on him. And it, it does, you're not wrong to I yeah. do have uh, concerns that way. I, I want to check this out eventually. It's also like just looking over his background too. Like he's been making documentaries and films basically about himself you know, doing things to himself and like trying to make himself the subject. I get, I get the sense of what's happening here. Yeah. But uh, I, I, sounds I, I like think show with that, within a show is good though. The show about the show is the good. show, about the, but I think I completely agree. And if you have any moral reservations, like uh, I, I completely understand. And, you know, um, for that reason, we should probably limit how much we talk about the show about the show on this podcast. So, uh, do not, uh, do not let this man into your home. Like, don't, you know, no, no. But suffice to say, yeah. Like, I think it is a completely defensible, tenable position to say, like, I, I morally object to what he's doing. Um, mm-hmm. For me personally, I'm still. I, I think it's still something I'm thinking about, and I yeah. think you're right that like uh, the involvement of the kids really gives me pause, but as the show about the show went on, I think he went to greater lengths to excise his children from the show about the show. Um, Like their faces are hidden in later episodes. And like, so that, that to me felt like uh, slightly better, but uh, I also haven't seen season three of the show, which the Kickstarter is meant to fund. So maybe like he'll do something so (laughs) unforgivable 
that I won't be able to come back yeah. for. But but anyway, yeah. So it's, I think it's, it's going to be a meta commentary about Kickstarter funding and everybody who enables his behavior. It's, dun, dun, dun. it's true. So I think like yeah, definitely <laughs> like it's worth reflecting on whether what he's doing is okay. And I understand <laughs> if people don't feel that way. So anyway, uh, but all that said, we are tangentially involved in the Kickstarter video. Check it out. Watch the show about the show. Decide for yourself whether it's something you want to support. But appreciate Hiram Patel and other people for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, and, and raising that issue. You know, like it's something, let's just say it's something that my wife also agrees with uh, in terms of the objection. So, Because um, <laughs> we, we talked yeah. around this around uh, Borat and Bat Trip. And what this guy is doing seems uh, right on a whole other level in terms of like, yeah. yeah. Borat Bor- and Batra basically people. like making people unwilling subjects of right. a piece of art, right? Pretty much, right? And yeah, it, this is very much in that category as well. So um, arguably more problematic than those. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, anyway, uh, that is the show about the show. Check out the Kickstarter. It's available right now. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Brightside. Dealing with anxiety or depression can be paralyzing, but you should know that you are not broken and you're not alone. And when you want help, Brightside is there for you. Brightside offers personalized, life-changing anxiety and depression care from your own home. Now, most mental health providers make getting help exhaustingly difficult, or you get the same treatment as everybody else and you don't feel any better. But Brightside offers help for the full spectrum of anxiety and depression conditions. So no matter what you're feeling, you'll get a treatment plan tailored to your specific needs on your schedule. Just go to brightside.com slash filmcast, take a quick free mental health assessment, and within 48 hours, you're connected with your expert provider to start your personalized treatment plan. Now I can tell you, as somebody who's had a rough rough go of it lately. I had some really terrible news about my daughter that caused a a real spiral for me. I really realized the value of getting help. And whether you choose therapy, medication, or both, all plans follow the highest clinical standards and are based on American Psychiatric Association guidelines. 85% of Brightside members feel better within 12 weeks. And it's affordable. With a flat monthly fee and no hidden costs, you can get all the help you need without worrying about a big bill. Plus, with Brightside's Better Care Guarantee, you can get a full refund within 30 days, no questions asked. Join thousands of Brightside members taking back their lives. Get your free mental health assessment and get up to $100 credit on your first month of treatment at brightside.com filmcast. That's brightside.com filmcast. B-R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, let's move on to another story that happened this week. Uh, And that is that there is this new show or a new film about Anthony Bourdain uh, Uh called Roadrunner. Devendra, this is something you wanted to watch, right? Definitely. Um, But uh, the the director of Roadrunner is a very well-known director uh, by the name of Morgan Neville, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, he uh, directed this movie and wanted to use like Anthony Bourdain's voice reading certain things, right? Like voicing over certain things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were certain passages that Anthony Bourdain had written 
that he did not like Morgan Neville, the director, did not have tape of Anthony Bourdain reading those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like there there would be no way to get tape because it, it, the one of it is uh, him reading text uh, from a letter to David Cho, the the artist. So yeah, there's no reason he'd be reading that out loud anywhere. Yeah. Um, so w- what Morgan Neville did was he used AI to reconstruct Anthony Bourdain's voice and play it during the movie as though Anthony Bourdain had actually read it. Uh-huh. And then he just as Anthony Bourdain would have wanted. He definitely would have been cool with this. Yeah. And then he did not. I mean, the biggest thing is he doesn't disclose in yep. the film when the voice is recreated. Yeah. Like he kind of mixes it in. And in the interview, he kind of. I, I feel like he kind of takes some some pleasure in like the disguising of it. He's kind of like, ooh, like oh, I, I snuck it he, in he on you. He dropped the bomb like in in the publicity for this movie, I think. I think he kind of knew exactly what it would lead to. Yeah, like he, he wasn't like, uh, you know, I feel deeply shameful about this. Tr- like, I right. w- oh my God, I wish we could have done it a different way. But like, I just, for my art, I had to, you know, like I don't, I didn't feel that way. I think he was kind of yeah. like, it felt more kind of like, you know, I snuck it in, nah, 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 nah. you know, it felt kind of like, it felt kind of like, you know, I did this thing that like, you can't figure out what I did, you know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of the sense I got from the interview that he did. Um, of course, it's just my characterization. That said, well, he did, he did flippantly, like they brought it up in, I think it was one of the New Yorker interviews yeah, around New Yorker. And then he flippantly yeah. was like, we'll have an ethics panel about it yeah, later. He said, like, quote, no, quote, no, we, we can have a documentary ethics panel about it later. End quote. That's you, what you he do said. that before. The thing. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, let me have the ethical transgression, and then we can talk about whether it's an yeah. ethical transgression or not. I thought Owen Gleiberman... Let's just experiment with human <laughs> cloning, and then talk about whether we should experiment with hey, human cloning. Hey, that's how cloning. we're doing it, so sure. <laughs> yeah. I thought Owen Gleiberman over at Variety had an interesting uh, take on this. He he write, wrote an article entitled, Is the Anthony Bourdain AI voice in Roadrunner an ethical lapse? Maybe so, but documentaries have been sliding away from reality for years. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and, he, and he lists kind of uh, several documentaries, starting from uh, Nanook of the North, which was mm-hmm. in, you know, many, many decades ago, uh, that has like recreations uh, or mm-hmm. staged scenes, right? And obviously, Errol Morris made this into like a really impactful art form, and yeah. movies it like was Thin heavily Lines. criticized for it. Yeah, at the time, right? It's it's hard to imagine there was a time when reenactments were considered like how dare po- you? polluting of uh, of the artistic integrity of the documentary. So, so uh, documentaries have often played uh, with the line between truth and fiction, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. the question is like, is this going a step too far? And Owen Gleiberman's take is like mm, not really like yeah I mean yeah. yes maybe slightly but like not not more far than you know anything else has been done in documentaries recently. Um, so and I'll, I'll just read a little bit from his article. He says, "Quote: I think what bothers people justifiably about the Bourdain film isn't so much the ethical lapse as the sudden dramatic implication of how scarily reality can now be manipulated. Uh-huh. We're only at the dawn of the age of the deepfake. People can now be made to look like they're doing things or saying things that they never did or said. The manipulation of Bourdain's voice in Roadrunner seems to open a Pandora's box. What happens when unethical filmmakers employ such techniques? But let's not pretend that we've always been purists about it. Documentaries have been inching away from unalloyed reality for a long time. And it's we the in the audience who enable it, end quote. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's a good take. It's like basically like, yeah, uh, it's bad. And also many documentaries have been moving in that direction for a long time yeah. as well. I mean, so Werner Herzog's yeah. entire career is is more yeah. about the idea of truth than 
facts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, Jeff. is it worse to you guys that it's a documentary, uh, or because I think mm-hmm. this is going to happen across genres, right? It, it no. is going to happen in documentaries, but also it's going to happen fiction films, and I mean, it's already happened, right? We have dead actors being put in Star Wars movies and, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I, I have no real opposition to deep fakes as a concept, so long as it's disclosed. You know what I mean? Like disclosed and done with approval. And it also sounds like he was not, he did not really have approval. It, it right. sounded like he pitched this idea of a project like, and uh, while, while mumbling to himself, like, Oh, we may take some audio and make a deep fake. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, Oh, the family's cool with it. They're fine. They didn't object. Yeah. So th- that, that's my only issue is like, uh, if he had said like, you know, voice recreated using AI deep fake technology in like yes. subtext of the, in like a lower third, I would have, I'd been like, okay, like, I don't know that I would have made that choice myself, but like, you know, as, as, as long as he's disclosing it, but or I think like, like, like let, let a little bit of it play and then like have the reveals like, Oh, this, you know, re- reenacted or recreated digitally. Right. Or I, I, yeah. I guess, I, I guess like the question is when you watch a reenactment, like in general, I think people understand that is not like archival footage of the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That said, I you know I always think documentaries can do a better job of distinguishing when it's archi- like when it's actual footage that was pulled off a security camera or whether it's a reenactment. Mm-hmm. And I think like you know sometimes filmmakers intentionally maybe leave out information to blur that line, and I don't like that. Yeah, but like um, you know the narrative he's creating here. I think that's that's partially it, and I think we're we're reflexively saying like oh a fake voice is bad um until like we become used to it it's not labeled well that's not great the family not absolutely not okay with it his ex-wife said like yeah i did not hear this this was happening also seems like this i i need to see this movie just because i love bourdain i need to see like what the hell happened here uh but also <laughs> seems like the narrative that he crafted that morgan Neville crafted was he didn't interview asia argento who plays like a major role towards the end of anthony bourdain's life they had a relationship and it sounds like the movie almost like points the finger at her for being well that that, that is a that is a, it's a whole other thing it's a whole other thing but i guess the point all, I was making, it's all tied together that's all i'm saying the the point i was making is just that basically by having ai version of anthony bourdain's voice you're implying something happened that didn't happen right mm-hmm. you're implying yes, that anthony yes. bourdain read this piece of work but that didn't actually happen. And I feel like that's not necessarily the case with reenactments, right? Like yeah, I feel like when you, you, know, you see a reenactment, you, you, can, tell. you, you yeah. can tell, oh, this is the way the filmmaker envisioned it. But you know, maybe that wasn't always the case. And maybe one day we'll look at deep fake voices as the same way we look at reenactments. And people will say like, oh, no one could possibly think that they thought they actually said those words. You know, maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, the only reason you use the deep fake voice is to fool the audience into thinking Anthony Bourdain said I it. I think there's I no there's yes. no point at which putting up the the lower third would be considered because it, it just flies in the face of the entire point of using the technology in the first place. Like the only reason he's employing the technology is to create the illusion that Anthony Bourdain is speaking to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's yep. no there's no reason to disclose it because that just breaks the illusion that he was attempting to create. Yep. Yeah, but that yep. that does make me worry more about like what is this narrative he's trying to create? How is it? Is it just an idea he has? Is it actually backed up by evidence or anything? Like the the reality of it, I think, is troubling. Um, I watched the documentary called Users, and it premiered at South by this year. And I think for throughout the first ninety percent of this documentary, it was narrated by the director, and uh, you know, the voice sounded a little robotic. And towards the end of the movie, it re- it was revealed that. 
oh, her entire narration or most of it was done through this robotic voice, you know, and she admitted that towards the end. And it served a point because that that movie was about our relationship with technology. You know, it was part of the uh, the thesis and the theme of the movie. That's very different. But yeah, I should probably talk to them to see what they think about all this. It, it, it feels a little bit to me like we're, you know, looking at the first uh, internal combustion engine and being like, man, you, you think this is going to replace some of the horses out there? Like maybe some people <laughs> won't use horses maybe. now. Right. And maybe. You know, when it's like, no, it's going to completely transform the it's face of the planet. Mm-hmm. This is the mm-hmm. uh, horse armor, you know, in terms of DLC discussions. Yeah, it yeah. just feels like we're even to talk about it in 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 minor terms. I think it just betrays the entire notion of what we're looking at, which is. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. But yeah. I, I, I think like the, there's a reason a lot of people are up in arms about this is because it is fresh. Not everybody's reading about, you know, the how good this technology has gotten. So I think yeah. we're seeing the public response to new technology. Um, this is what always happens. It's immediate revulsion. You know, it's the, the uncanny valley. And we're like, no, please, please, none of this. But eventually it'll all be what we're doing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, those are some of our thoughts on using Anthony Bourdain's deepfake in a documentary about his life. Guys, let's get to uh, what we've been watching this week. Uh, so, do you guys know Space Jam and New Legacy came out in theaters this weekend and also hit HBO Max as well? I, oh, uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've been super excited about this. Like your uh, most anticipated movie of the year, Dave. That's what I, I remember. I missed Looney Tunes and Urbanware. That's all That's all I missed. The movie, life. I mean, the movie made over $30 million of box, which is like really good. Like even if it had come out pre COVID and made that much, I thought, I think that would be considered a success. I mean, the thing is guys, this week I watched a movie where characters <laughs> need to travel to exotic locations to recruit uh-huh. a team. And the film featured product placement, some meta jokes and a character named Dom who has to face off against his family, but uh-huh. learns to forgive. But forgive. enough, about, enough about fast nine folks. Let's talk about Space Jam and New Legacy. Oh, and in both of them, Bugs Bunny drove very fast cars, right? Like, <laughs> easily could have been in Fast 9. Yeah. You're right. That's true. Boom goes to Dynamite. And also a big thanks to Chris Valent for sharing that Boom joke uh, on Twitter. It was pretty brilliant work by Chris. Um, so, yeah, I had a chance to watch Space Jam and New Legacy. And I'm just going to say straight up. <laughs> this is one of the most depressing films I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I, I don't want to overstate it. <laughs> so we, we also, we need to do a longer discussion about this at some point. So maybe oh, this I don't want to have Don't sign us up to watch stuff. this, Devendra. <laughs> no, like, like, that's the thing is like, yeah. I wouldn't wish this upon anyone. Like, th- you know, there's plenty of movies, guys, where I'm yep. like, we should watch this so we can talk. Like, Tomorrow War, great example. Like, uh-huh. I, I knew we would have a fun discussion about the Tomorrow War on last week's After Dark, available at patreon.com slash film podcast. And I was right. Uh, and you know, I'm not saying I was the only one that had that idea. You guys also, we all, we all came up with that, but, uh, this is not a movie that I think would be fun to talk about. (laughs) So is it depressing because it is bad or is it depressing because the actual content of the movie? Because I think by it, watching it, you can see the downfall of humanity. Yeah. It's like a peak into the end of civilization. The end of cinema. Okay. So, I mean, uh, I'm going to talk briefly about the premise of this movie and, uh, Basically, listen, it's, it's very simple, right? They're, they're going to go to space and they're going to jam in space, right? That's all this movie needs to do. <laughs> the, the idea, jam in space, dude. You get the space jam. The idea is that 
uh, and, and also, by the way, like there was an earlier version of this film that then got taken over by Malcolm D. Lee, right? Uh, who's obviously a brilliant filmmaker, very talented. But the earlier version, I think, was written as a critique of the modern studio system. Amazing. But then they left in, but then they changed it so it's not a critique. It's like Ernest now. But they left in the elements of the plot that are a critique. So essentially, it's about this algorithm named Algae Rhythm, played by uh, Don Cheadle, who is running Warner Brothers, the studio. <laughs> it, should, it should have been played by L.E.G., <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. Come so, on. Uh, well, trust me when I say this: that role would not work if it was a white person playing it. Um, <laughs> but suffice to say, basically, Algae Rhythm is like the guy who decides what Warner Brothers makes, which is like a terrible self-own, right? Like that, that this, <laughs> this guy by the Algae Rhythm. Yeah, Algae Rhythm, and and he's like, let's put LeBron James into all of all of our our movies. Like, let's let's di- digitally generate like LeBron James avatars and put them in all our movies. It'll be amazing. And LeBron James is like, no thanks. And Algae Rhythm gets really upset at this and is like, you must win this basketball game against me and this crew I put together or else I've kidnapped your son and you'll never see him again, which is pretty dark. Wow. So uh, um, he's going to join uh, Wacko <laughs> and Dot in the, in the Warner Tower. Yeah. Well, like yeah, your son it, is there forever. Exactly. Pretty much. And so this, then, is, a, this is a mea culpa that the Warner <laughs> Brothers has been run by tyrants. <laughs> right. So then so then LeBron James needs to go like Algie Rhythm lives in the Warner Brothers server verse. Uh-huh. Right. Where which is that, where all that the Warner sound Brothers like space to me. Where all the Warner Brothers properties live, right? Like Game of Thrones and you know Casablanca and whatever. And so he needs to go in there. LeBron James goes in there and uh and, and what what there's a subplot about like how the Looney Tunes were banished to all the different shows in the serververse. So like you see the Looney Tunes inserted into movies and TV shows that we know and love. Well, that sounds fun. I like that idea. Well, yeah, it, it I is. On see the Bugs one, Bunny pop up in Game of Thrones. That's fun. On the one hand, it's fun. On the other hand, it's also an abomination <laughs> um, because you have like like Casablanca, like one of the greatest films of all time, and you know. Uh, they replace Sam the piano player with Yosemite Sam. <laughs> and listener, let me tell you, if that sounds like a desecration, it truly is. Well, okay, but I I, I could get behind this idea in the sense that this movie is a silly goof. <laughs> if, and it's, if it's all done well. Yeah. Mix mash mishmups, you know, it's about, you know, this fun, this fun idea of mixing all these crazy properties, putting them in a bag, shaking the bag and seeing what comes out. Like, I I think that can be kind of fun in a sort of who framed Roger Rabbit, like wacky, you know, uh, mixing cartoons with real people in, in situation in movies that we know and are familiar with. You know, it's it's almost like the um, do you remember the year, the the later years that Billy Crystal hosted the Academy Awards? Mm-hmm, and they kept mm-hmm. putting Billy Crystal in all the movies that were nominated. Uh, those were really fun. I liked them. And Billy Crystal would like step, they insert him seamlessly into the scene. And then he would step out and like talk to the camera and be, you know, <laughs> be like, well, this, this really is a piano, the piano, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know what he laughed well, well, at? That? Here, I thought that here, was funny. Here's, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, here's some, here's some good things about the movie. Like LeBron James actually a decent actor in my opinion. Like he pulls it off. I actually think he's probably a better actor than Michael Jordan, not talking about the basketball skills at all. Um, and the core emotional story of the movie is actually like a decent one. It's about like LeBron James learning to be a better father to his his children. Like, and uh, I can get behind like that that arc for that character, but it's larded on w- with all this 
corporate IP commercials, basically. They're, they're, they're try- Warner Brothers is trying to make a, a big commercial for their IP and like, hey, remember how awesome Warner Brothers is? And my problem is that it ends up making Warner Brothers look really lame and irrelevant, right? And what I mean by that is like, <laughs> you realize like, uh, it, it, like, like the, the things that they chose to include make it feel like they haven't made a good movie in over 10 years. <laughs> you know, like they have references like The Matrix and uh, the only movie, right, from the last recent memory is like Mad Max Fury Road. There's a Mad Max Fury Road reference, but like, but like, even if I accept that this is a, you know, commerce-driven enterprise where you're trying to advertise yourself, like, I, you know, I'm not sure that's a thing I would support more of, but I can at least understand the impulse. If you're going to do, if you're going to make a crass commercialized piece of IP driven property of very dubious artistic value, at least do it well. At least do it in a way that entices me. Ethos. At least it's an ethos. Like, at least (laughs) entice me, right? But it's just like, it's well, but it's like, isn't it just based entirely on, uh, on nostalgia? Isn't, isn't the idea that it's, it's a, it's, a sequel to a movie that was made, you know, that 30 plus year old people remember. And it, it so it makes sense that all the IP are the things that are beloved by the same age group. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? I, I guess my question is, who is this movie for? Right. And, and theoretically it's for <laughs> kids, but like all the references, you know, it's like those like epic movie, scary movie, you know, it's like basically like it, they just refer to the things. It's barely clever in how right. it refers to the things. Um, there's an Austin Powers reference. Who 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 is this movie? Who, who's going to get an? What child is going to get an Austin Powers reference? It's not for like, kids. I think. I think well, it's for it's for the people who grew up remembering Space Jam. It's too dumb to be for adults. <laughs> like, and and let me tell you, let me tell you, the, there is a so like you know LeBron James is going around. He's like getting all the Looney Tunes together to 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 you know be in this basketball game. And then the game starts. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this, this movie's wrapping up. There's like 10 minutes left in this movie. Guys, there was 45 minutes left in the movie. Wow. That's a <laughs> there full is length, basically, does it play a full-length basketball it's, game? It's basically like a full-length basketball <laughs> game, in, in which, by the way, there are no rules. Okay? Um, <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> this is what I'm, really gets your goat. It's just oh, like, yeah, it's I mean, chaos. It, it's just chaos. You know, you saw they, they like when somebody does a dunk, they get like a hundred points because they get style point. I mean, come on guys, <laughs> come on guys. So anyway, uh, it, it depressed me because Warner, like you know, LeBron James uh, and like his, uh, like he makes out pretty well in this, in my opinion, like he proves himself as like a talented actor. And obviously he's a an incredibly talented basketball player. Um, the the people who look bad in this are Warner Brothers, in my opinion, because they come off looking like just a a complete grab bag of IP that has absolutely no cohesion or relationship to each other, and b said grab bag is like completely irrelevant to our daily lives. <laughs> um, and so it just felt like watching somebody who like used to be who like peaked in high school talk about how amazing they were in high school. You know, that's kind yeah. of that was kind of the feeling I got, and so. Mm-hmm. I just I just thought it was really really depressing. I mean, um, what what kids movie is complete without the characters from A Clockwork Orange in the background? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's or a the bunch nuns of... from Ken Russell's The Devils. Oh my, the film oh my nobody gosh. has seen. Davindra, you just yeah. my respect for you went up like three notches that you got that reference. Really nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of like deeply upsetting references in the background uh, from like all the random Warner Brothers thing, and that's the thing. That's the thing is like 
imagine you could imagine if like Disney made a movie like this, you know, and you could have all the Disney IP in there and like that it actually like makes sense. Like you you combine like you know, Star Wars and Marvel mm-hmm. characters, like that actually all makes sense when you put it together, right? Like those are all like action adventure sci-fi thingies. This is like you have Game of Thrones, you have Looney <laughs> Tunes, you have Casablanca. Yeah. You know, like how do these things fit together in any way whatsoever? One company owns them. That's your answer. The, the, yeah, but like, I don't think like, Viewers understand that at all. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, like, well sh- surely they do go to space at some point, right, Dave? Uh, no, no. Sh- no surely the Looney Tunes are uh, hand animated in their traditional 2D style, right? Well, they are at first, Vindra. But then to play the final basketball game, right, it doesn't make sense for LeBron James to be playing with 2D characters. So they are converted <laughs> to 3D characters. And guys... These characters are hideous and frightening. I'm just going to say <laughs> it's it. disgusting. It, it's it's upsetting to see the Looney Tunes rendered in 3D. I shall not back down from that. So, anyway, uh, that's Space Jam: A New Legacy. That's, and may, uh, may God have mercy on us all. May God have mercy on your soul. And apparently, uh, I don't know what the kids want these days because the movie's a massive success. So there's uh, two hours of Dave's life he'll never get back. It actually, you know, you say it jokingly, but it actually kind of created an existential spiral for me. Like. <laughs> Like we we only have so many so much time left on this planet, and like, yeah, am I going to spend it watching stuff like Space Jam: A New Legacy? Evidently, yeah, evidently. All right, well, that's what I've been watching this week. (laughs) Hey, it's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. I'm always delighted to talk about HelloFresh because I use it, I subscribe myself, I pay for it every week, and I'm so happy to do so because HelloFresh makes my life better. With HelloFresh, you get Fresh, pre-measured ingredients, mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and they are delivered right to your door. So you don't have to go to the grocery store. And you can make cooking at home easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I made a meal tonight for my family, cooked it myself. Makes me feel very good to be able to cook for my family and give them delicious, healthy meals that... I know what's going into them. I know exactly how much salt is going into it. I know exactly the ingredients that are going into it because I cooked it. Tonight, I made sweet and smoky pork tenderloin with apple carrot slaw, mashed potatoes, and cherry sauce. You think I'd be making that without HelloFresh? No way. HelloFresh cuts out all the stressful meal planning, all the grocery store visits. I get much more variety in my meals. I'm making stuff like sweet and smoky pork tenderloin. I wouldn't have made that. I'm terrible at thinking of things and doing stuff. But with HelloFresh, I get to go in advance, check out the app, pick from so many different menu items. They say there's over 50 menu items and market items each week. And so much variety. It's so wonderful. And there's something for everybody. These are designed and tested recipes by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. And HelloFresh is 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. I'm telling you, we often turn to each other, my wife and I, and, and comment how if we'd gotten this meal in a restaurant, we would think it was a great restaurant and now i love cooking so check it out yourself go to hellofresh.com slash filmcast 14 and use code filmcast 14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping again that's hellofresh.com slash 
And then the word F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-4, FilmCast14. That's your promo code for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Devinger, what are you watching this week? I want to shout out a couple of things. I've been checking out uh, This Way Up, which is a series on Hulu uh, created by Ashling B and uh, co-starring Sharon Horgan, who I know you love, Jeff. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, awesome, amazing. Great cast. Um, Asif Manvi is in this, Indira Varma. It's about two sisters. Ashling B is uh, at the very beginning of the first episode. She is being uh, released from uh, a mental health institute. Uh, she apparently had like uh, some sort of breakdown and her sister is trying to help her out and, you know, try to take care of her and everything. And the show is about their relationship. Um, Ashling B's character trying to you know, get her life back together, um, keep a relationship going with her sister. And also her sister being the one who has to like deal with her and take care of her younger sister and everything. Um, I found this really funny. This is one of those, um, you know, it, it is a comedy drama in a way because it's dealing with serious issues. Um, but it doesn't always like, it's not dour at all. It's very funny. I think Sharon Horgan and Ashling B have like a great chemistry, uh, this is a show filled with great one-liners. I think you'd appreciate that too, Jeff. Mm. Um, it's a nice half-hour show uh, that you can just like watch pretty breezily. Um, not like you know, it, it's not like Starstruck or something that I feel like is uh, super happy, but it's really funny, and I really like these characters. It's uh, it's very sweet, and I'm just getting through season one right now. Season two just started on Hulu, and I hear it's even better. Uh, people are calling it like near perfect television. So I, wow. I'm looking forward to like getting up on this. But if you've missed uh, Sharon Horgan after Catastrophe, right? Um, yeah. Check this out. I'm really excited to watch this one. You, you texted me about this and I, I just haven't had a chance to, to check it out. But it feels like right up my alley. It's I'm very excited. sweet. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge uh, Sharon Horgan fan as well. So yeah, yeah the, the show is This Way Up and it's available on Hulu right now. Is that right? Yes. Yep. All right. What else have you watching, Devendra? I've also been checking out High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. And uh, th that's basically what it's about. It's a, it is a food show, but it's also a food show with a purpose, which I really appreciate. Um, it is more documentary than like just showing off food. Uh, it's hosted by uh, Stephen Satterfield. Uh, I believe he has like chef experience. Um, but it, it really dives into how uh, African-American cuisine is really at the heart of everything we eat in America and how much it shapes uh, our, our country um, and the things, you know, the things we still eat today uh, goes into like the importance of okra. It goes into West Africa where a lot of these things came over uh, from and the importance of rice in the South and everything. I think this show is uh, it's a good food show, but it's also like very good history because it covers a lot of things. I don't think many people know about, especially in terms of like how much, food we took from the black community basically um so yeah i just wanted to shout that out i'm always looking for good food shows and certainly like since um bourdain died too like i, I have not found anything that's just really hit the same mark of like being culturally uh you know interesting and educational and also like telling me something about food because uh i think food's important guys like you have a meal with somebody or you have somebody's, you know, native food, it tells you a lot about them. And I think that's like one of the best ways to get to know people. So I always love food media because of that. Um, I think this one really gets to it. So it is fun food television, but it's also very educational. So check it out. It's high on the hog on Netflix. 
All right. That's why I uh, always have people uh, sit down and eat HelloFresh with me, our sponsor mm, this week. Yes. Mm. It's my, they know wow. more about me. You're giving, giving some free mentions to the sponsor this week. I, I, I genuinely love HelloFresh. Yeah. We had it tonight. Yeah. Hashtag nice. family, hashtag food. HelloFresh. <laughs> Devinder Hardor, you and Jeff also watched Wellington Paranormal. Yes. Mm-hmm. So tell us about Wellington Paranormal, Devindra. I mean, I will. I I'll let you like introduce it, Jeff. But uh, basically, okay, yeah, yeah go, no, it's, go. it's it's what we do in the shadows meets yes. Reno nine one one. Yes, that's wow. what it is. Basically, so, but with with New Zealand like dry humor. Yeah. Yes, and yes. I, 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 Davinja and I, I think, share a love of that New Zealand dry humor. Uh, and you know, it when you say dry, it is deadpan <laughs> as fuck. You know, it uh-huh. is people who have no idea how. Uh, how they screw up, right? It, 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 I, I love that style that um, um, uh, God, the guys from the, the Flight of the Concord guys, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the uh, Clement, uh, Jermaine Clement, like style of being completely oblivious to your own flaws, you know, and and it, it, just saying it straight out, deadpan to the camera and not realizing that you're, you're making yourself look like a dope, you know, it's it's great. And uh, it, I like it because it has that supernatural element that uh, what we do in the shadows has. It is literally it, a spinoff from what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's 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 following these cops uh, that that sort of get recruited into being paranormal investigators and liken themselves <laughs> to like a Mulder and Scully. But of course, they're you know inept in a variety of ways. Their boss is inept. It it's like it's it's a hidden camera show. Yes. Not a hidden camera, but a uh, you know a, like a mockumentary show. Yeah, yeah. And it's like if if the office, but it was all Michael Scotts. You know, like everybody's a Michael Scott. You know, uh, in the office, that you know, Michael Scott is surrounded by a lot of competent people that mm-hmm. all like look, look sideways at Michael Scott and go, "Oh, he's not competent." But in the in the Clement, you know, verse, <laughs> I think he's a producer on this as well. Yes, um, yeah. Their their style of humor is like everybody's a Michael Scott, right? Everybody is equally oblivious to their own flaws and. Uh, ridiculous and boorish yeah. and you know it, it's it's M- more I more really michael like scott it. than a david brent from the uk office yes I think. like yes. yeah they, they're, they're a little right. silly but also like i think some people are well-meaning but silly and dumb at the same time um i, I find this show a lot of fun as somebody who loves uh paranormal like stuff and stories like this um it is hilarious to see these like inept new zealand cops go after you know, uh, somebody who's uh, possessed by a demon, you know, like just just very simple things. Um, It's funny. It's really funny. My wife is not really into it, but I love the dry humor here. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. If you're if you're into you have to really buy into that kind of deadpan humor. Mm -hmm. But it's catnip for me. I I think it's hilarious. It's on HBO Max. Apparently it's been airing for a while. It was on a channel that uh, one of those I don't fully watch, but uh, it's now on HBO Max. It's been airing since 2018. And and what pray tell uh, made you both decide to check it out in the same week? Anything anything I specific? I saw it pop there? up on uh, I I saw it pop up on uh, HBO Max as, as a new I show. See. And, oh, nice! Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think it may, yeah. it may have been a, there may have been a uh, hashtag slash tag. That's what I, I was I yes, was giving yes. you the opening there. Giving oh. you the opening there, Jeff. There was I, I was actually checking it out before that, but yes, yeah. thank you for the people <laughs> who recommended it too. Using hashtag slash tag on Twitter, that's how you can recommend things for us to watch and how you can find things to watch, listener. So, uh, Wellington Paranormal, that's what Devendra's been watching this week. Jeff also had a chance to check it out. Jeff, let's go to you. What have you been watching this week? 
Well, I know we've talked about the show a number of times as each of us has has <laughs> arrived at it, but now it's my turn to talk about uh, Kevin can fuck himself. Yeah. Uh, I have new... not seen it yet, so you were the second. Oh, was yeah. it? Well, the, I guess it was a, a guest that, because mm-hmm. I, I think we've talked about it twice so far. Uh, I, I misremembered, but yeah. um, whatever the case, um, I had, each time it had been described on the show, I had been very anxious to check it out. It seems like my kind of meta commentary. Uh, of course, the show is the notion that uh, there is a sitcom in the style of Kevin Can Wait, the old uh, Kevin James show uh, about a uh, a, a big uh, oafish husband who is a man child and always gets his way and his long suffering, beautiful wife who just it makes no sense why she would even stay with this ass. Uh, and there is that show. There is that sitcom complete with laugh track and three camera setup and garish lighting and, you know, very much a, a half hour sitcom from an earlier era. Uh, and then the moment the, the husband is out of camera shot at, at off stage, it transforms into a gritty hour long drama in the style of something like breaking bad. Um, and it talks and it goes into her psychosis and her her what what it what it means to be that woman and what she length she is willing to go to to break out of that life. Um, I really like this show. I've I've I binged three episodes, so I'm not completely caught up yet. Um, it is airing on AMC Plus. Is that right? I believe. Yep, AMC and Plus. AMC, yep. Um, yep. normal AMC as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just I think it is really smart and funny. I'm actually I'm actually a little uh, <laughs> I, I hate to admit the fact I'm a little embarrassed. I like the sitcom parts like I hate those kind of shows. Hate them. Wow. Hate them. But You're just really actually, outing yourself. This is here, a terrible Jeff. confession. Jeff. Yeah, yep. it is a terrible <laughs> confession. I should never have said Am it. I the I problem? Have to admit, yeah, like there is a. A fairly significant but increasingly small portion of the show that is just that sitcom, like those ridiculous mm-hmm. setups and and uh, one liners. I, I I like some of them. I, I think Everybody Loves Raymond is really cute. Like there, there's a lot of those type of shows I do like. Yeah, I was raised. You know, I grew up on yes. you know, Cheers and mm-hmm. uh, Frasier and you know whatever all those shows from the late '80s, early '90s. I, I grew up on that stuff. Um, so I, I have it in my DNA, I guess. But boy, the it's been Simpsons. a long time. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, but I think The Simpsons, you know, evolved past that. And it for me, like the laugh track is is grating. I, I can't watch shows with laugh tracks anymore. Um, it, you know, I don't like these three camera shows particularly anymore. <laughs> but I have to admit, like the variety inside this singular show is kind of cool. The juxtaposition of those two worlds is always fun. I always enjoy the the fact that you get two shows in one really with Kevin can F himself. But also I think the sitcom is pretty well written. Like the, the jokes are dumb and purposefully so, but it like also kind of smart, dumb, but smart. (laughs) I agree. It is a very good recreation of sitcom. You know, my colleague Tara Ariano brought up like the, the thing she doesn't like about the sitcom parts is that the main, the main dude character is so totally irredeemable. Like even right. in uh, uh, Kevin can wait, 
like the guy has like some nice tender moments. You know what I mean? Whereas right. like the guy is just has zero redeeming characteristics. Well, I in, think in that the, kind yeah. of has to happen for us to be on, completely on her side with what she ends up wanting right. to do to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also Homer Simpson kind of doesn't have any redeeming qualities either. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> once in a blue moon, you see him do something tender to Marge, but yeah. mostly yeah. he's a complete, I mean, this guy is a cartoon character, you mm-hmm. know, he, he's over the top and goof, goofball-y, but that's what these shows are too. Um, but man, I, I, I'm really enjoying Kevin Kniff himself. I think it is, uh, it's a great idea, a clever idea, really well executed. And I also think it's really interesting. I don't know, Dave, if, if you agree with this or you picked up on it in the same way I did, but, um, it seems to me that even in the hour long drama version of the show, it's the universe that she lives in still is a sitcom universe. Like there's still like wacky antics that happen that would Mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. right at home inside the, the sitcom, but everybody plays it grounded and straight and, and real, but the actual, like on the page, I imagined the script on the page of some of the things that happened in the gritty version. And it's still, if you play it, you know, exaggerated yeah. and, and sitcom-y, it would be still that kind of tone. And I just think it's interesting that just changing how the actors interpret the lines completely transforms the show and how it's shot, of course, too. But yeah. um, I think that's cool. a good point. You know, you could call it a dramedy too, but at the same time, Breaking Bad also had a lot of humor in it. Right. Well, right. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but I, like I, she'll I, like drop stuff or like flip a thing and it'll hit something. And right. like, inside the context of the sitcom version, that's played as wacky slapstick. And in the context of this thing, it's like this dramatic moment, but you go, Oh my God, that's, there's no difference in the action of what happened. It's just the tone of how we're viewing it changes our appreciation of it. I think that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you're enjoying this, Jeff. And, yeah. Uh, Have you stuck yeah, with it? Show, I, I haven't. Cause I, I, I still plan to get into it. I still plan to get into it, but I, I just, I guess I feel like, the premise is so good, but then it didn't feel like something that could sustain itself for the, that many episodes. And I don't know that it did for me, but it's kind of a thing where, okay, like uh, I just, I need to make time for it. And maybe I will this week. Cause I'm actually on vacation. Um, <clears> some, as I, as I mentioned, recording the Bay area. So, uh, so I'll try to get into it again, but it, it's not, it's not, it's not like a, uh, a pleasure to watch is what I'll say. Like it's, it's <clears> to me, I, I admire it. I admire the audacity of making a show based on this, but it's also like very dark and painful, right? And it's it's meant to yeah. be it's meant to hold a mirror up to us as a society about the suffering that we are okay seeing in the uh, female characters uh, right. on on these sitcoms. Uh, so, uh, and I, I totally appreciate that part and and want to support that part. And and it's that's not the part that bothers me in any way or that I find tedious. It's more like that. I don't know that that alone can drive the plot forward in a way that's that's compelling. Mm. Um, but I do plan to stick with it. I do plan to stick with it. So, uh, yeah, the, it's Kevin Ken F himself. And it's available right now on AMC+. Um, and I am keen to see where the show ends up. So, uh, Jeff, what else are you watching? Well, I checked out a, a new documentary series. I guess it's a documentary series, technically, uh, on Hulu called uh mccartney 321 this is a remarkable show 
uh, about Paul McCartney. It's Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin, the uh, mega producer, Rick Rubin, who, you know, uh, is the name on a lot of the albums that you know by heart, I'm sure. Um, and it, it is an extraordinary thing. It, it, it feels like you're a fly on the wall overhearing two people just hang out and talk about the Beatles. And one of them just happens to have been a Beatle. You know, <laughs> it's so I, I think anybody of my age and maybe around my age probably had a Beatle period. I certainly did. I fell in love with the Beatles in high school, listened to almost nothing but the Beatles for a long time, for a period. Um, I lobbied my, <laughs> my uh, senior prom to have the theme be let it be. And like, I, I just, I was super into the Beatles for a, a little while. I think they are the greatest rock band that ever existed. So I, I, I'm particularly interested in the Beatles, but I think even if you only have a cursory interest in the Beatles, this show could could c help to make you understand what's so special about them um, because it is a deep dive into songs, lifestyle, period, personality of what it took to make these songs. And it is... It's amazingly put together. I, 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 I'm kind of in awe of this show. It's a series of conversations between Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin. Uh, Rick Rubin oftentimes is standing in front of a very expensive musical equipment. Uh, Paul McCartney often is holding a guitar or behind a piano. And they will just start talking about Beatles songs. Uh, Rick Rubin will play something and they'll dissect it and talk about like what what were you thinking when you did this part or how, where did that come from? Oh, you hear the baseline right there. Da, 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 da. And like picking apart the dynamics of a song in ways that you rarely get. There are podcasts that do it. Um, but I've never really seen Paul McCartney sit down with anybody and talk about it in this level of detail. You usually get these sort of fluffy interviews with, with musicians uh, where you, you know, you talk about what are your influences and all these things. This is like, technical talk detailed it, it you can tell that mccartney thinks of rick rubin as a peer that they are talking on the same level he's kind of excited a new beatles a, a, he'll turn a beatles song on and mccartney will like stand up and start sort of dancing to it like he he's a fan of the music and he'll he'll make these really candid observations about something that john lennon did or you know george harrison did in the room and like oh this is what we wanted to do right here and oh i'm super I was super proud of this moment. And it's, if you like music and especially if you like Beatles music, but even if you don't really understand what makes the Beatles special, watch one episode of this and you'll see, I think why they are, you know, on that Mount Rushmore of, of rock bands. It's, it's really good. And it, it's like, it, it uses archival footage too. And, and uh, it does a lot of really interesting things to, the way each episode is structured is it isn't chronological. It sort of jumps around and it's sort of loosely grouped around a theme, but it, it's, it's really amazing. All right. Uh, sounds really cool. And I'm a, uh, I would call myself a mild Beatles fan. I really have enjoyed their music, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I feel like call myself a fan. I'm not, not as good as I'm not as big of a fan as other people. You know, I, I, I think I, I value them greatly and enjoy a lot of their music, you know? I don't know. It's weird. Like I, I like compared to me because I, I don't care. 
So how about that? <laughs> oh, you're, wow. You're more of a fan okay. than me. Yeah. More, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but less of a fan than Jeff. But the, sh- the <laughs> yeah. show is McCartney 321. How'd you watch it, Jeff Kanata? It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu, I believe. Uh, I think. Well, it sounds pretty cool. I will try to check it out. Um, you okay. should. I, I think yep. you'll dig it. Anyway, go ahead. That's cool. No, no worries. Uh, and the other, the other thing I want to say is we all finished watching Loki on Disney+. Plus. And uh, along with a few other grab bag topics, that's what we're going to be discussing in the After Dark, which is available exclusively to Patreons, uh, patrons over at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. But that is what we've been watching this week. Let's get to weekly plugs. Mm-hmm. This is weird. I want them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. We are texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. I think in a way, it takes a lot to get us to furiously text. So good. Unsolicited. All over the place. So good. So good. Let the internet have its way. Plugs. 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 I'm going to cut it down. All right, weekly plugs of the party show of the show each week, where we plug something that we've been creating, or if we haven't been creating anything, then we just plug something that uh, someone else created. Uh, this week, you know, speaking of uh, work that nobody sees, I want to plug my TikTok page. And you know, it's not true to say that nobody's seen it. Yeah, it's, I'm just I think say, more people see it than any of the other stuff that you make, according to you, right? Here's what I'm going to say: is I once read this article. I think it was by Jay Caspian Kang about. Uh, what it was like, what's what it's like to play like professional poker, right? And one of the things that's really hard to get used to is the huge swings, right? So like sometimes you you know you make five thousand dollars a night for you know five nights in a row. Um, sometimes you lose fifty thousand dollars in a night, you know, and like you're just doing the exact same activity. Like you're not you're not changing anything, and and that's what's happening. And it's like it's hard to get used to the huge swings. Uh, on TikTok, it's like sometimes I'll get like 2 million views in a week and sometimes it'll be like 10,000. And that's just like a huge difference. Um, so <laughs> You are you know, in it, man. You, yeah. you are yeah. in it. Yeah. So, in the lifestyle. Uh, indeed. So, you know, uh, help me get those numbers up. Follow me on TikTok. That's tiktok.com slash at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Watch my just stupid... Just needs yeah. another hit of that of that that sweet five thousand dollars a night. I just need to go on a run. Just give me a, just, <laughs> just more just engagement. Me. All the engagement. Yeah. Just give me yeah. that sweet me. sweet just sweet sweet engagement is what I need. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean the videos themselves are are completely pointless and without any artistic merit whatsoever. But that shouldn't stop you from following me on TikTok. So it was good. TikTok, I, I like the one you did about the uh, the Marvel shows. Oh, thank pretty you. Good. Thank you. Yeah, Marvel show. Uh, what was it the idea? Room, yes, yes, the pitch yes, room. yes, yeah, yeah. I will say, David, I have not watched a single one of your TikToks, <laughs> and and you no, are better the, for it. You're no, better. That's for not it. the end of the sentence. That's uh-huh. not the end of the sentence. Uh, and and thought they that it was not good. Every oh. single TikTok well, of yours nice. I've watched. That's so uh, nice. I've been like, that was that was clever. That was well done. Yeah. Uh, I'm impressed with your your output. It's uh, that's a really it's, badly phrased pull quote. Jeff, like, yeah, <laughs> let's cut it right there. Devendra Hardwar, your weekly plug. I want to shout out the uh, the most recent episode of the Engadget podcast. It's called Billionaires in Space, Windows in the Cloud. We talked with uh, Tarek Malik, the editor-in-chief of Space.com, about the billionaire space race happening right now. And, uh, yeah, w- w- what does it mean? Why is it not like the space race of your um why i kind of hate it uh yeah we, we, we talk about all that <laughs> stuff and also uh windows 365 which is this cool thing microsoft is doing that gives you a whole like a, a whole windows computer in the cloud guys in the cloud mm. it's pretty cool um so yeah check out that episode 
All right, that's the Engadget Podcast. Check it out. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? Hey, do you like limericks? Are you, are you not actively repulsed by me? Then you may be the perfect candidate. AKA questions I ask myself right before we start recording every week. You may be the perfect candidate to order a bespoke, personalized limerick crafted and delivered by yours truly over on my Cameo page, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Uh, I personalize messages for any occasion, birthdays, anniversaries, birth of a child, you name it, I can limerick it. And I have done well over 100 limericks at this point. And oh uh, you God. should check out. Yes, you can check out. It's uh, incredible, Jeff. It's incredible. The, I think I have over 55 star reviews. Uh, and uh, yeah, check it out. Check it out. I'm so I, glad I, I, like you it. had. You, I'm so glad you have friends in your life who ah, encourage you to take on such lucrative enterprises like it, getting onto Cameo. If it wasn't for <laughs> good friends <laughs> suggesting mm-hmm, that I get mm-hmm. on Cameo, which is why I always want to take a second in every episode and give a big thanks to Danish Syed for suggesting. Mm-hmm. And and just him. And just him. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, I mean, I think he deserves it, don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. All right. Well, check out Jeff's stuff on Cameo. Uh, I guess it was only Danish that suggested he get on the Cameo. And uh, those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of A Quiet Place Part 2. I don't know why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. People worth saving. Most people had finally given up hope. That was from the trailer for A Quiet Place Part 2, the newest film by director John Krasinski. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb right now. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. Beyond the sand path. That should be the subtitle of this movie. <laughs> Uh, so let, let's talk briefly, gents, about our thoughts on A Quiet Place One. Like sure. I thought A Quiet Place One was a really effective, yes, you know, single location thriller. Absolutely, well done, yeah. well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so A Quiet Place Two theoretically tries to expand the world of the film, right? It tries to give you a little bit yeah. more of a glimpse of what's happening in e- the ever so slightly. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they got a budget this time. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, well, it turns out when your movie makes hundreds of yeah, millions yeah. of dollars, they yeah. can give you a little bit more money. I, I think. I think the first was like John Krasinski can make a movie? Question mark. And the second was <laughs> yeah. like John Krasinski can make a movie? Exclamation <laughs> mark. <Yeah. laughs> All right, your Harder. What did you think of A Quiet Place Part Two? Okay, get get ready for this one. <laughs> this week. I watched Killian Murphy try to survive in a post-apocalyptic hellscape, all while trying to protect a young girl from monsters, including the greatest monster, man. (laughs) But enough about 28 Days Later. Oh! Boom. Boom. That's the only reason he's in this movie, right? Is because of 28 Days Later. Um, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun with this. 
as a, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's tight. It's very efficient. Has some great set pieces. Although I think it kind of peaks early. I think the whole opening sequence, um, which is the trailer, was the first trailer, like a bit of the prequel stuff. Um, I think that was the best that this movie did. Uh, it does a great job of building on the first film. Uh, I think personally, I kind of want to see a little more. I do wonder if like they're they're maybe a little too precious about being very very sharp and very efficient. Like because I can't, I I have a hard time telling like what people are thinking sometimes. I'd love to know like the greater like the greater world outside of like what they're dealing with. This movie kind of just touches on that and maybe not enough. Um, I kind of like the flashback. Maybe that's why I like the flashback because it gives me a lot more context for what's happening and why it's happening. But well, uh, we should say we should yeah. say the movie opens with a flashback that yes. is depicted in the trailer for the film. Yep. Um, yep. So in the trailer, and that's you find how out John kinda... Krasinski comes back, basically, yeah. <laughs> just, just for that scene. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, I appreciate all those things. My opening remark to this episode also holds true, and we'll talk about that in uh, in spoilers. Like, I, I do think like it's very effective, it's very efficient, but there, there's a lot of things it could be doing better. I think uh, I'm very excited to see where the third one goes. So I guess in that respect, uh, it's a success. Are they have they announced that they're making a third they're, one? Yeah, I think it's under sure. development. Is my yeah. understanding? Um, so who knows if it'll actually come to pass? But right. Yeah. Um, I mean, this the first two movies have both been huge successes. Yes, so, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, and given the way, yeah, yes, I, I would bet money we'd see a third one. Okay, so l- let me ask you this question too. We all watch this movie on Paramount Plus, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I actually saw it in theaters uh, on like opening weekend, many like a couple months ago, and I guess I am curious, Devendra, like. You know, at this point, we've watched a few movies that were intended for theaters that now, like, we watch streaming at home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Movies like Godzilla vs. Kong, for example. But uh, I I don't know if you watched Quiet Place Part 1 in the theaters, but do you feel like uh, this lost a lot watching it at home? Probably, yeah. sound design is such an important part of the movie, right? Well, uh, let me tell you. I uh, I got a pretty good sound system down here. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. We're going to impugn the sound system, uh, Dave. I'm in. The, I've got Dolby Atmos in my basement. It's pretty great. Mm, um, okay, okay. I, I'm in the process of setting up. Uh, basically, my wife and I like uh, we got the a 120 inch projector screen set up on mm-hmm. our basement ceiling. So I got that. I got, I got a ultra short throw projector, which is not like perfectly placed, but good enough for me to watch this movie on it. So I had a big experience with it, and uh, I'm very glad. Like I saw it this way, but watching it on a TV, I started watching the opening minutes on uh, on my other TV. On just like a, it's a sixty-five inch, still pretty big, but I think as the opening set piece started to uh, to kick off, I was like, "We gotta go! We gotta go downstairs! We gotta go to the <laughs> big screen for this bad boy!" Um, and I kind of felt that. And this is a movie that probably would work best in a theater where you can hear that silence. I distinctly remember watching the first movie in the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, um, and that eerie sense of when the entire audience yeah, was silent. Uh, that was something, kind of something. special. There's something yeah. special about being surrounded by like a hundred strangers mm-hmm. and everyone is just shutting the fuck up because yeah. they're like, and I bought popcorn for so that screening intense. too. Yeah. So it was like, uh, so slowly eating that popcorn. Cause even that would ruin it. <laughs> that thick, heavy, quiet. Yeah. That, that yeah. like, you know yes. that everybody is, it's exactly. A, yeah. Communal quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Something special about it. So, um, I watched it in theaters and I found it to be a very intense experience mm-hmm. and uh, I rewatched it to, for, in preparation for this episode and um, 
it, it lost a little magic as I was watching it during my uh, calisthenic workouts. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. And yet, uh, you're so much more prepared for when the monsters arrive. It's so true. It's so true. Thank you for pointing that out, Jeffrey. Yeah. Okay, Jeff Canada, what do you think of the movie? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I think of the movie is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's young children in danger, and thus, I found it a bit torturous. Mm-hmm. But the tension's well done, and the action is fun, like a live-action filmed Last of Us. Mm, absolutely. Nice. Nicely done. Even Last of Us-style monster is at this point. It's yeah. Last of Us the movie! Yeah. yeah. Last of Much, Us is a hit PlayStation game, for those who yeah. are unaware. But yeah. Much more than the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Quiet Place, was. Uh, but, it, you know, the first one kind of had similar themes. This one is, like, full on The Last of Us, the movie. <laughs> I know we're getting a Last of Us TV yeah. show, big budget, $10 million <laughs> per episode, HBO Last of Us uh, show, but we kind of already got The Last of Us movie, yeah. and it's Quiet Place Part 2. I do wonder um, how much of it was Krasinski, like, just playing Last of Us while he was bored. He was like, I got it. I know what yeah. we're going to do. Yeah. Um, I agree with everything Devendra said. I think this movie is very well made and really effective. Uh, I actually watched the whole film uh, with earphones on. Uh, very with nice. the surround yeah, sound yeah. earphones. I, I really wanted to make sure I heard or didn't hear, uh, as the case may be, um, because sound is so... It, it wasn't the first film, too. Sound design was so important, especially mm-hmm. because there is a prominent deaf character and you often get her... POV yes. uh, as you did in the first film. Um, and, and I think that is so effective when you sort of, everything goes silent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sequence, there's a, a part in that very first sequence that it's so effective. Um, and you're right that that first sequence really is a, uh, a crescendo early on, but I, I think the movie uh, carries that forward. And, and there are some really interesting set pieces, some really cool stuff that happens. Um, it is, as the first movie was, it is a movie about parents trying to protect their kids against something that they can't protect them from. Yeah. And so in that sense, I, I, parts of it are very difficult for me to watch. It is such a metaphor for bringing a child into the hellscape that will yes. be affected by climate change. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. And, and the idea that this entire movie was finished before COVID broke out, <laughs> and it so perfectly speaks to the experience of COVID, this like not knowing, not understanding, oh my God, how, you know, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, the whole world has changed. You know, it very much has those themes yeah. as any post-apocalyptic. The, the idea would, of but. also like if you go going out during COVID and especially before the vaccine, you would have your like family group, right? Yeah. Right. And you'd be like, okay, we're, we're, we're not going to interact with those groups. We're staying right? on the and sand There's path. like hand motions. There's like, stop. Too many people yeah. crowded. <laughs> um, I was doing that. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, I mean, it, it really... It really is interesting how this movie lands now, having been delayed, you know, over a year from its original release. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's 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 powerful. I mean, it, it is potent, as potent as the first film or more so about about the children. I mean, I think this movie focuses even more on the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and you, you got the one good kid and the one idiot kid. Apparently. We'll <laughs> yeah. talk about that in spoilers. Well, the baby, man, the baby, like the, the baby good. from the, the first one good. is just, it's just you, so You should call the baby an idiot. To be oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love babies. No, the baby's an idiot, Dave. <laughs> Dumb baby. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing that I, and we'll talk about more in spoilers, but 
Um, there is some mad cross cutting in this movie. Like <laughs> yes. we're in three places at once a lot in this movie. Like yeah. three action sequences happening all at the same time. I mean, I mean, what is this? The final action sequence from the Phantom Menace guys? <laughs> or any Star Wars you guys, movie. You guys like that reference? Okay. Anyway, what yeah. is this? I mean, a Christopher Nolan Jedi. movie? Yeah. Return of the Jedi did it first, Dave. <laughs> yes. But it's yeah, true. it's, uh, <laughs> it's, true. It, it, it's, the Birth of a Nation re- did it first, okay. <laughs> That's true. He really, he really does it a lot. It's not just like the yeah. third act. It's it's a lot of the movie is done like that. I, th- I think like we, we will get into some of this in spoilers, but I think there is also like a, a level of artifice that is starting to show with this too. Like the whole the whole opening sequence is like, I- I'm a dad. I'm just a cool dad. Cool dad going to get groceries. And even yeah. him like picking up oranges at the groceries and like trying to cut them for his kids felt like a very like forced uh, action in a way. I don't, man- I don't know. It felt very it. mannered felt, to you. It sounds like it felt very mannered. It was like uh, Tom Cruise trying to act human. I think in movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here let's get the spoilers. I, I, I'll just say briefly. I agree yeah. with you guys. Like the set pieces are great, and uh, I I think the movie is really well put together. Like the, the set pieces are really well done. Um, one of the things that I'm going to mention that annoys me, that annoyed me is like some of the contrivances, um, basically, as you guys have hinted at people acting dumb, you know, yep. that's always disappointing yep. when people do stupid things. In, in Especially that, when like everything is at stake here. Right. You know? that, yeah. When but they do stupid things. Having lived through the last 18 months, we realize that's realistic. Certainly. I guess, but I go to the movies <laughs> to escape, Jeffrey. I go yeah, to the that's to a good escape. point. But let's talk about spoilers. Let's get the spoilers. It sounds like there's a lot we want to discuss. So spoilers for A Quiet Place Part 2 starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right. Uh, so let me just say that the thing that really bothers me about this franchise of movies uh-huh. is I just don't feel like the premise holds up under even the mildest of scrutiny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, like uh-huh. we, we, you know, I might have brought this up in our review of the first one, but like we in in present day america or even in the past have used sonic weapons right like we've we've used like heavy metal as like a torture technique uh in in probable human rights violations right like and and so like it just feels like if these things can't see and are only sensitive to sound like there would be a heck of a lot more noise making device like Metal Gear Solid 2 on PlayStation 1, like you can throw rocks and like distract people. And like mm-hmm. there's just so little of that in these films that it just and, and then the idea that, oh, this girl's hearing aid is gonna is the thing like it's very no, convenient. The yeah. United States military has not tried any kind of sonic weapons <laughs> that would even be cl- it's just is I, I I appreciate the met like the kind of one of the many underlying messages of this film, which is the idea, I think, that like that we view like society often views disabled people as lesser than, and they Mm -hmm. shouldn't, right? Like that in some cases, like uh, in the case of this family, like the fact that they have a child who is differently abled has, has enabled them to, uh, you know, uh, survive in ways that other families cannot. Um, And I, I appreciate that being like kind of this, this message of normalizing the idea that like people have all these different, uh, different types of abilities and, and that is great. 
but just the idea that like this girl's hearing aid that you just like <laughs> tinker around a little bit can like yeah. is the key to solving this it is it, worldwide it's the ultimate, problem. The series is the ultimate dad movie because like Krasinski <laughs> yeah. in the first movie was it was just like I'm this is what every dad wants to do during the apocalypse. Take care of your family, you know, right. uh, get, get well, a whiteboard. And, 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 yeah. We get, get a whiteboard. Make sure you yeah. write down Weakness. your thought process on Weakness. the whiteboard. Yeah. Monsters. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mentioned it in my opening, but like, just like basic things like, uh, there's sand everywhere, but like, that's literally like a hundred tons of sand that you need that's to a, like pour. That, that must've taken a long like, time to put that like, sand down. Yeah. And like, they can, uh, the, the, the creatures like, uh, you, you can kind of make noises near water, right? Because mm-hmm. they're distracted by the water. Well, but any like, other like uh, like loud noise. And the first movie is the waterfall, right? So, so it's like, but like, why why don't they live near the waterfall instead? You know, like it's, it's, a, just, it's a good question. It doesn't. It's just so much of this movie, yeah. like under even the slightest of scrutiny, you think about it for like five seconds, and it's like that doesn't really make sense. Listen, let, and, let's talk about them walking from what was clearly upstate <laughs> New York to Southern <laughs> Connecticut in a couple days. <laughs> Like that's that's what really gets me. Um, mm-hmm, I, I do mm-hmm. think like your your greater point. We have no idea what's happening in the larger world, right? Mm, Which yes, is both yes. a strength and weakness of uh, well, of the it, series, it, right? It, it worked really well for Quiet Place Part yes. One, right? Because yeah. it's just so self contained. It's like anything. Maybe there's like you know maybe there's like thirty people living in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Like we we don't know. Um, I mean I don't I'm exaggerating, right? But like that that was a, the great thing about Quiet Place Part One. It was, it was so self contained. And now that they're trying to show the broader world, it's forcing me to think about all these things that don't make any sense. Um, so that's kind of my bigger problem with the movie. But yeah, I, I don't think I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said because mm-hmm. it's accurate. But I do think the movie was trying to say that it just it, it was a fluke of luck that her yeah. uh, hearing aid uh, malfunctioned in just this a very unique way that created just the right frequency Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, you know, so I think there's some plausibility that like, well, even if the United, if the government tried to use sounds, they just didn't arrive on the right. We wouldn't have tested every single conceivable frequency. Uh, Also, they they would not be up there in middle of nowhere, upstate New York. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing. Right? Okay, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair enough. I do think it's it's weird that nobody attempts to create lots of noise. Yes, yeah. right. And you know, and like, or set up a massive <laughs> trap and create lots of noise, and then they well, they fall also into the they, trap they didn't know a way to kill know. the things, right? Like, I think the key to her thing was that it revealed the weak point. Yes, so that they yeah. could actually kill. Yeah. The but I, I like I like that in this movie there were actually like noise making traps, yes. right? Like, yeah, and or the moment when that like extremely creepy ass girl like puts that. Necklace yeah, around Killian cool. Murphy. That was oh, really cool. Oh man. You know, and, and so like I, I don't remember there being much of that in the first film. And I'm like, why wouldn't there be there'd be a whole society based around making noises in random places, right? Like <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally that there's yeah. something like that happened. Uh, again, last of the us. whistlers from yeah. Yeah, The Last yeah, of yeah. Us too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so anyway, um the, okay, uh, but, but let me yeah, let last me praise one thing. Does yes. does this better, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, there, that moment though, when the the thing jumps off the there's like swimming away. I'm like, oh, they can't swim. And then you yeah. see the thing leap into the water. And you're like, oh shit, they can swim. And then it <laughs> doesn't. Sw- I thought that was a really well yeah paced yeah. Oh, moment. That whole, whole sequence was great when he like Killian Murphy like wraps the noise making <laughs> thing around the guy and then stabs him in the leg. Oh, like yeah. so awesome, incredible. incredible. Yeah. I, I don't um, understand their plan. Like as this village, like really all it takes for somebody to fuck up your entire society is to make a little <laughs> noise, and then yeah. you're gone. You're all gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, are you you're talking about the people on the island, or are you yeah, talking about the, the people like, on the island? Like, I mean, like, if you your goal should be to like knock out anybody, 
if you're trying to, you know, capture them or something. But it's like it seems like they did not think through this whole abducting people thing very well. Hmm. I, I think that, you know, let me praise the movie in some respects. As I've yeah. already mentioned, the set pieces are really well done. I think the moment that got to me was there's a moment when Killian Murphy is talking about like the people who are left over mm-hmm. after this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the people who are left, like they're not the kind of people you want to save, basically. Yeah. And I don't know why, but basically after everything we've been through over the course of the last year and a half, um, it's <laughs> that, obviously not that, that it's a little true to you. It's not a perfect analogy because uh-huh. like all kinds of people are left over, right? Like, like I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we're all, you know, we're all still here and there's good people and terrible people that are here. But j- j- just the idea, I guess, that like the basic idea that we are surrounded by extremely shitty people mm-hmm. and yeah. that uh, an apocalypse reveals who people really are. Yes. Right. And but again, like, last of us makes this point so much better. I think <laughs> <laughs> anyway, tell, tell, tell me, well, tell me how, like, or why do you feel like this movie doesn't like, let's get, let's try to stay on the movie. Like, why do you, what do you yeah. feel could have been well, better done in the movie? I, I don't think the movie does it poorly by any stretch. I'm not saying the movie does it poorly. I just think those, those themes are really, the life's blood of what the last of us franchise is, but it's, it, it's a much darker yeah. view of humanity overall. Uh, last of us, uh, you see just a taste of it here with the, with those people that are going to abduct them, but then they immediately find the utopia where people like do drum circles and uh, you know, <laughs> does, it, does it mean every Island is safe. Basically. If I monsters guess. couldn't get there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, as you mentioned, Devendra, it's like, who even knows what's going on in this world? Like, <laughs> how many people are still alive? Like, who, who know, has the military just given up? Like, wouldn't they yeah. be carpet bombing this? Pl- you know, I have no idea. I, have no, I, I try not to think about it or else I'll think the movie's yeah. bad. Well, also, anyway. the, 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 the thing I had to stop thinking about, too, was, you know, the first movie, I think, was also criticized for being a little a little too white, you know? So there are a couple actors of color in this movie. Who, who are summarily killed? Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. It is too bad. They're instantly killed. I, I have to say, like having Jimon Hunsu in the movie yes. show up, yes, a, o- only to have him brutally murdered. Like that. I, I was about to say, you motherfuckers, but not kill. I couldn't Jimon believe Hunsu. that. I couldn't believe he went out like that. Like he felt. Like I, such... I'm gonna go see my family, guys. Peace out. Yeah, the, just I, it, I, I, it actually actively bothered yes, me because yes. because like there's kind of um. You want horror movies to have like rules for who gets who gets taken out, but, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like there, there needs to be some kind of like some kind of moral center to the movie, and I, I'm 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 okay with you killing Jim and Hoots' character if that death has some kind of meaning, right? Right? But he just went out like for seemingly no reason for whatsoever. no reason, yeah. like he existed to help the the protagonist, and that's pretty right. much it. And then we but, see but, a cop at the beginning of the movie. Kind of could have same he deal. Could easily yeah. help them without dying. Like yeah. he could have helped them without dying, or it, it wasn't like his dying was in the furtherance of helping them in any mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Right? He's just yeah. like, oh, I got to go back outside. Bye. And like, <laughs> it, it just is like. Also, man, that they sucks. are the. <laughs> They yeah. are the singular reason that all those people on that island yeah. got slaughtered. Hundred percent, and that's that's the thing is like there's this <laughs> moment when Killian Murphy is like, you know, we didn't need your help, we came to bring you help, and it's like <laughs> I don't I don't think they really I think at the end of the day they would have uh, I mean they justify it because at the end of the day they're giving the and the creature killing power to everyone through the ra- the power of the radio, right? So like, assuming, I guess that assuming justifies... people have like, yeah, then they need to have right. weapons to assuming kill the they monsters. They have radios too. and then have weapons to kill them. Right? They did not explain and... what the point of this noise was. You kind of have to have a message, like guys, Pete, hey, everybody, oh. listen to this. Uh, this a... will hurt the monster. <laughs> that was the other thing that drove me fucking bonkers. Is we've got a conclave of safety, uh-huh. and we're gonna 
and, and they're monsters that don't speak English, but some for some reason we need to masquerade it in a in a cryptic message inside a song. Well, that, like, I, I guess that's to keep the uh, the marauders out. Although they could easily figure it out too. So yeah, what's I don't. The point? I don't know. Yeah. The idea when he's like, you figured it out. It's like, yeah, buddy. How can, why don't you just have someone stationed 24 hours a day saying, hey, we're on an island. We're on an island just to the south. Yeah. You know, like that's somebody should be somebody's fucking job. Rotate that job every <laughs> single day. Someone's on the microphone going, we're on an island. Do the last thing. basically, yes. Like hit the button over and over again. Yeah. I mean, what else are you doing? You're drum circling and having <laughs> playing tag on the beach. We, we probably like should have seen more of the Marauders. <laughs> I, I think like yeah. more than just the boat people, we need to see like how badly things kind of fell apart. It would have been how, nice if like yeah. one of them had speaking lines, you know, sure. like it would have been nice to like learn more about that society in some way. Um, we had a nice village here. We were trying to bring you to dinner, guys. You just, you murdered all of us. You got us all killed. <laughs> Yeah, the, the 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 necklace that was all that had all the bottles and pots and pans on it was actually yeah. the necklace of honor. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in this society. Yeah, in this society. Yeah, you just didn't understand yeah. it. The movie is about miscommunication. You see. Yeah. Um, but okay, let me ask you guys this. Uh, you know, Timothy Mabley in our live chat says this movie ends so abruptly. I thought the pacing of the last five minutes was pretty strange. I completely agree. And sure, it, not like the curious, first movie, right? Yeah. I guess I'm curious, like, if you guys think, to the extent that this movie has anything to say, one of the messages that you guys put out is, it's about how difficult it is to, like, defend your children from what's happening in the outside world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious, like, the ending is, the kids finally know how to use weapons against things. Like, that's that's the triumphant ending of the film. And I guess I'm curious how, how that landed for you, given that, like... Like it is framed as a purely triumphant thing. Like I think it's, it's more music, like yeah, they murder but, these freaking aliens. Like it's 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 like hooray that they murder these things. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm curious, like how you how you feel, like how how does that moral fit in with, or how does that outcome fit in with the moral in your opinion? I don't know if that's the moral. It, it felt to me more like just the obvious symbol of hope. It's like the boat at the end of Children of Men, a much better movie. Um, symbol of hope is is being yes. able to murder these things. Well, be, well right? also having the thing. It's the, the earpiece. All hail the holy, you know, um, <laughs> ear device. Earpiece. Hope, yeah. hopefully, uh, hopefully they have a way of recreating once the battery runs out. Yeah, that. hopefully. You know we, we, we got a lot to figure out here. Um, I think the idea of kids surviving this hellscape is is kind of a good one and i i don't know what it's going to involve but uh i'm pretty sure life on earth in the next 30 to 40 50 years will involve a lot of like uh it's not going to be pretty you know it, it's going to need more skills than we had uh learning to watch tv and use the internet all day so <laughs> well yeah i'll tell you this oxygen kid in the trunk is going to have some serious therapy oh <laughs> man i'm poor poor oxygen kid poor <laughs> also we need to set aside just a time for idiot son because he yeah. had he had one job you have one job watch, idiot son. one job watch one job. watch the baby the baby's fine it's, we we created a silent box for the baby yeah you know you just stay there don't stay watch the hole. baby no stay in I'm, your hole I'm, I'm gonna climb out i'm just gonna go look around too good for your hole gonna chill out i'm gonna I'm going to go look at this very obvious like uh, character building stuff on the walls again because it's apparently <laughs> what Krasinski does. Um, I'm going to get scared out by a dead body. That There's dead bodies everywhere. Like yeah. I, I don't I don't understand anything about that. So that kind of that part of the movie kind of killed me. I kind of wish he died. I, I, 
I, yeah. I agree that basically that whole subplot serves to imperil both parties yes. so that they're they're both like both groups are basically in danger at the same time. And, and also he, cut he, between them. he gets back in the uh, in the safe, which I think is a very or no, the furnace. That's a furnace. That's a very cool thing. This movie uh, occasionally thought, yeah. does things. So it's like it doesn't yeah. tell you the rules that we have limited oxygen here. But you see Killian Murphy start the timer. You see him. Yeah. You see them start to sweat like you start to learn those rules organically. I really right. I thought that, that was great. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. But uh, yeah, idiot son. Even after he triggers the monster, uh, yeah, makes life even worse for him and the baby. His only the, job was to protect. I like protect the, the foolproof towel method of yes. being able to mm, not yeah, die. Really, in there. It feels like a pretty tenuous <laughs> way to not die. Um, but uh, also, like, I don't know why the thing that rubbed me the, the most the wrong way, Divindra, was when he started using the kid's oxygen. Sure. <laughs> like, I was yeah. just like, no, the baby. what is he supposed you, to do? I know, I know. You're right, Jeff. You're right. What was he supposed to do? At the same time, my fi- my feeling was like, you caused this. <laughs> you you caused this. Con- you live with the consequences. <laughs> or are we supposed to feel revulsion when he does that? Like he's, I don't think, he's I don't think so. Killing I, think, the baby. I think Jeff's reaction is the right one. Which no, is like, well, I mean, he, also babies need less oxygen too, so he could potentially right. do a bit of that. But it's like it is hilarious how how much that kid screws up in within two minutes. Ingrid, yeah. indeed, indeed, I definitely indeed. had that thought, Dave, uh, at the end when I watched the kids murder the the the, the, the aliens. Going, this this is our triumphant moment as the kids pick up the gun and shoot shoot. It's like eh, I didn't love that. Well, when when uh, used the spear. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Much more brutal. Much more brutal. Um, yeah, it, 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 I I understand what it what was being attempted there of their sort of self actualizing and like standing up to themselves and, be, mm-hmm. and you know taking the mantle of responsibility from the previous generation. But yeah, it, I didn't. I, I, feel, I didn't love it. I, I kind of feel like the first and second movie are kind of playing with imagery that they don't really understand mm-hmm. like what what they're doing you know like and and i guess i talked about this a little bit before about like how many people interpreted quiet place part one as like a uh a, political a, commentary a, a, yeah a political commentary mm-hmm. about like why we can't talk in our society anymore and you know and <laughs> yeah. I, I i think that is a completely valid interpretation and i guess i just wish on some level that this movie had a little bit more to say. I yes. think you guys, you guys have put this out there, but like really the, the only emotional journey that I went through in this movie is Killian Murphy's character, a character who basically I, I think is given a little bit of short shrift. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you see basically he learns how to love again, right? He learns how to like be a person again. And and find I, hope. I, yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it works on a basic level. Um, but uh, I do think, you know, a lot of the movie's taken up with this other bullshit, like this kid and, you know, this other stuff that, like... This movie you know, is 90 minutes long, basically. Like, this movie is not very long. So right. it's also, yeah. like, they, they could have... I do appreciate the fact that it's very efficient, but there's so much more room to give us more... Right. You could do more organic yeah, world building. Do more of that society, like, show us more yeah. of the society. And you all don't have to write stuff. everything down on the walls. Like, we, we get it, guys. Like, his, uh, his whole, like, bunker, too, is also pictures of the sun. Because, yeah. Okay, get it. Yeah. This is one of the most negative, positive reviews we've ever given. Mm. That's kind of how I feel about the movie, though. Yeah, I think it's a good movie. I enjoyed the movie. It's very enjoyable and also not not great, in my opinion. Like, there's there's a few things holding it back from true greatness. That's me personally, though. Mm -hmm. No, I would would agree with that. All right. Um, Well, those are our thoughts on A Quiet Place Part 2. And uh, that's going to wrap us up. One thing I want to mention. I do think... It is fun that this movie does not. The first movie ended on such like a kick-ass moment 
to be honest, like it, it, any any scene ending with a gun cocking, I, I think is a ballsy move because you don't get that catharsis of seeing them kill all the monsters. And then you don't get in this movie either. So I do think occasionally like you just get out and the monsters are gone and they're just preparing to leave. Yeah, you know, I do appreciate it was, that. It just kind of assumes they got it. Yeah, it was cool, though, that like walking down the step again and seeing the nail mm-hmm. and like like picking up in that moment. It, it, I was glad that we were not jumping forward a huge amount of time. And yeah, that was like, pretty cool. Yeah. Just after yeah. the, the big thing, basically yeah. after yeah. the time where they had to kill all the monsters. Other thing worth pointing out. Um, I mean, the, the mom just had a baby, just had a baby. It, it does seem uh, I, I forget like what the timeline was from the first movie. But man, they really put her through the ringer again. I, I cannot imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I loved, I know we're wrapping up, but I, mm-hmm. I also loved that in the flashback, like he, him going into that convenience store and walking past the spaceship. I thought yep. that was a really cool touch. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Uh, that is going to bring us to the end of our episode this week. Uh, our theme song for now comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. And our weekly plugs bumper music comes from noah ross this episode was edited by baby zhang next week we are going to be discussing old the new film by m night Shyamalan. looking forward to checking this out guys should be a fun conversation mm-hmm. and i think we're all going to make an effort we might you know let me just say like um a lot of change happening on the film cast uh this summer like uh we've obviously rebranded and also uh, the uh, Jeff is moving and I'm taking a vacation for the first time in like 18 months. And so there's going to be like some, uh, just like some episodes will have like one or two of us instead of all three of us, you know, just for the next, uh, just for this summer, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on this summer. Um, and we might not always go to see a movie in the theaters because of what's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we are all like, we got to see the new M night because we don't want this thing freaking spoiled for us. <laughs> we're going exactly. to make the effort to go see this one. So, Anyway, that's old. Stay tuned if you're a patron for the After Dark where we're going to discuss Loki. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. We watched the movie.